the hope of all who live in Christ. Several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Darrell started us on a glorious journey, I guess you could say, a journey that points us and the world to, to God. And through his series of glorious themed sermons, we have dis- considered the glorious gift of prayer that God has given to us to communicate with Him. We've also looked at the glorious world that God wants for His creation and our desire as a church to work to bring about, which is a community that reflects Jesus' vision and values. Last week, Pastor Darrell encouraged us to more fully appreciate the glorious message that we have to share as we offer the Word of God to everyone, as we say, our neighbors near and far, so that they may be embraced by the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and live in the power of the Spirit. Today we want to grab a hold of the glorious opportunity we have to work with God to bring hope and healing to His world. He uses our gifts and He uses our graces. Those areas in which we excel and those areas where others would be tempted to say, well, bless His heart. (laughs) But through the grace of God and our faith in Him, He uses us in spite of ourselves. We are wonderfully and fearfully made. Each of us is unique, just like everyone else. We are birthed into this world with a God-sized purpose that is divine spirit breathed and scarred hand sculpted just for us. We never outgrow His purpose, yet we are never too insignificant, too inadequate, or too inept to do whatever He calls us to do at any given point in His timing. God has proven time and time, and can I say it again, and time again, he call, when He calls us to do something, if there is a gap in our ability, He will make up the difference because of our faithfulness to Him. What we perceive as our inadequacies are His opportunities. It's in times like these that he reminds us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Early on the morning of April 1st, my cell phone rang. It was Rick Maynard. And I've asked him if I could talk about this, and he said yes. Uh, It's not unusual for Rick to call me. But at 7.30 in the morning, it is. He said, hey, what you doing today? That's code for, if you don't have something planned, I do. (laughs) Considering how early it was, I said, I think I'm about to find out. And as as many of you know, that day they ran over a tarp on I-65 on their way to Tennessee. The tarp hung up underneath of their SUV and uh, caught fire. And now he and Christine and Samuel and Alyssa 
were standing on the side of I-65 watching it burn as the rear door and the, and the hood melted onto the pavement. Could I come and get them? Sure thing. Now, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. And according to my family, driving is one of them. <laughs> but I like to do it. I can get from point A to point B and back again and, and fairly efficiently if I need to. I'd like to think that my driving has led to some conversions along the way. <laughs> Probably some outside of my car, but most of them inside of it. <clears throat> About two hours later, I pulled <clears throat> up to the charge spot on the side of the interstate just as a fire truck pulled away. The emergency response team was gone. The Ford Expedition was gone. Most of what they had for the trip with them was gone. They had only a few things that they were able to get out of the vehicle before it became too dangerous. In that three-hour saga of all the hundreds, if not thousands, of cars that passed, only one person stopped to check on them. And it wasn't me. I was there because they asked me to come. <clears throat> but no one, only one person stopped out of that three hours. If only one trucker who passed them by would have stopped to offer them a fire extinguisher, they may have been able to save the vehicle or at least the belongings that were in it. Now, for certain, many people probably called 911. In fact, on the way back, we stopped at the Dollar General to, uh, to get some things. And there they met a lady who had seen the fire going, she was going the opposite direction. She saw the fire on her way to work, knew the local fire chief, and called him and told him that help was needed. I am confident there were those who went by who were deeply moved by it and offered sincere, true, faith-filled prayers to God on their behalf. But we're left to wonder how many others rolled by, were intrigued by it, mesmerized by it, but never even thought to say a prayer, or stopped to, never thought to stop to see if they needed help. And there were probably some who never even noticed it. What difference would one fire extinguisher have made early on? If the roles were reversed today and Rick were standing here, he could tell you of the calls he's received from me saying, hey, what you doing today? <laughs> and the long hours he's put in helping me out of life's debilitating situations when no one else could help. Good friends, hard times, doing what needs to be done to help each other's life be a little less painful and a little more tolerable. I'm sure all of you can recount times when you've helped someone else, as well as the time when someone else got the call from you, hey, what you doing today? Our text this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 through, through 26. Matthew and Mark give us a version of this event as well. 
We refer to it as the story of the four friends, or maybe the four friends and the paralyzed man. We could call it four men, a man, and the man, or the helper, the helpless, or the helpful, the helpless, and the healer. The word had gone out that Jesus was in the house, presumably the house where he stayed when he was was home. People from all over were arriving. They packed the house. The doctors of the law were there, critiquingly hanging on every word that Jesus uttered. As the crowd moves in, a group of four guys break from the pack. Mark is the one who tells us there were four of them. They were carrying a man on a mat. The power to heal is upon Jesus. They want to get inside the house to get the man in front of Jesus. But there's no room, according to these three, these three uh, stories, there's no room inside or outside. The entryway is clogged. They find a way to get to the roof of the house and somehow manage to, to get up there with the paralyzed man possibly going up an outside set of uh, stairs to the top of the roof. They figure out where Jesus is in the house, go right above him and remove the tiles from the roof and lower the mat, the bed, the pallet, whatever it was, with this grown man on it in front of Jesus, right in plain view of the crowd that is in the house. Seeing their faith, that's what the text says, seeing their faith, Jesus looks at the man and says, Man, your sins are forgiven. The four guys have accomplished what they're there to do. They appear to be done, and Jesus takes it from there. In some ways, this is a watershed moment in Jesus' ministry as he goes on to declare and to prove his authority. He throws down the gauntlet. The teachers of the law are called out and showed up. The paralyzed man is healed, exits the house, a new man, and the eyewitnesses erupt in praise and bewilderment of what has just happened. One of the many things that we learn and gather from this account is that the faith of those four men somehow, some way, factors in to Christ forgiving this man's sin and healing him. Their involvement, their actions, their thoughts were either born out of faith or gave birth to faith that allowed the man to receive forgiveness and healing from Jesus. What a glorious opportunity for them to be able to place him right in front of Jesus, for Jesus to do to him what he does to broken people. In some ways, we recreate that scene here every week. Here in the sanctuary, back in the nursery complex, in the gym, in the lawn, or in the classrooms. We work together to bring the sinner and the wounded to Jesus to demonstrate, so that he can demonstrate his authority in their lives by forgiving sins, healing hurts, And giving them a new life so that praise can be given to God for the amazing things that he has done. Now, when I say that, some may be thinking, 
If that's true, if we recreate that scene here every week, then who, who among us are the teachers of the law? Can I say, if, uh, if you're asking that question, maybe it's you. I don't know. Just say. <laughs> These opportunities play out in different ways for us here. In this broken world, some days you're bringing me. Other days, I'm helping bring you. And some days, we're working together to bring somebody else. It often happens here through the ministry teams of the church. People working together for the purpose of getting others into the presence of Jesus. That takes a lot of different forms. It's not always in prayer meetings and Bible studies. It's in the regular changes that take place in the nursery. A young woman, a young mom, gets to join in worship here. She gets to interact with those in her ABF. And she gets spiritually refreshed so that she can brave the next week of motherhood. That little one is cared for learns Bible courses and Bible verses as she ages into the twos and threes worship, and now she's leading a Bible study, youth Bible study. It's in fixing the meals for 60 youth on a Wednesday evening. It's in sitting on the floor telling a story in children's worship. It's keeping the network virus-free and working so that the live stream can go out. It's in balancing the sound and switching the cameras. It's in singing in the choir, joining in prayer, mowing the grass, washing the vans. These aren't empty actions that we do each week. These are actions born in faith and that birth faith for the benefit of someone else. Everything we do, we do so that others can, in so many words, be placed in Jesus' presence and hear him say, your sins are forgiven. You're healed. Does this mean we will have to work with others to make it happen? Most likely. Will it require figuring out a way around a roadblock? At times it may seem like you are facing crowded doorways. Will it always be easy? There will be times it's like working with three other guys trying to carry a grown mat on a flimsy mattress. Will it always make sense to those around us? Sometimes it will require creative solutions like digging through someone else's roof. Will Jesus be there? And will God get the praise and glory? If we do our part, he will do his most definitely. May I say, no matter how long you've been here, there is a place in this story that we recreate every week. If you're new here, or if you've been here forever, there is a place for you to rip off a roof tile and lower someone down. Becoming a part of this scene that we recreate is easy. 
Sometimes it's just by showing up and being available and jumping in. Other times a public appeal is made for help. Sometimes team leaders call and ask you personally, can you help us? Or it may be through a written note on the welcome card. I'd like to be involved in, or I'd like to learn more about, and then fill in the blank. This brochure, Serving Joyfully, is out on the information wall in the foyer. It has a list of most, if not all, of the different ministry opportunities that we have here. That can be filled out and placed into the offering boxes. If a particular ministry is is well-staffed, there's always another ministry area that is in need of another person to grab the fourth corner of that mat. Friends, in this place that we call our church home, with our church family, we're serving the community around us. And we have a glorious opportunity to carry people to Jesus. Through his spirit, Christ is working here to heal and to forgive.